Society 13 Podcast Network. Redefining Podcasts. Society-13.com I like to listen. History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. spooktacular people welcome to this 169th episode of the history ghost bump podcast ghost tours for the theater of the mind i am your host diane and this is denise on today's episode we are bringing you the uss hornet this is located in california and it was suggested to us by angie renoso akbarzad probably back in i think it was february so for those of you who have made suggestions and you're like where is it you can see sometimes it takes us a while to get to those suggestions i just put together a list in east the other day i organized it finally which is a good thing because i found some locations that we'd had four different people suggest (laughs) so i've got it more organized now in an alphabetical order so that we can find them so i had this on the calendar to do in december and last month we got an email from a woman named pamela ennis who said hey I have a suggestion for you guys, the USS Hornet. And I went, oh, well, great timing because we already have it on the calendar. And then she went on to tell us that she actually is a docent on the aircraft carrier. And I said, well, would you like to come on the show with us? And she said she would. So she's going to be joining us on today's episode. We're very excited to have her. What I wanted to do is have you share with everybody a little bit about yourself. I've been a a docent on the ship for... I'd say a little over two years, and I help them with their paranormal tours. Which is perfect for us. Which works out really well, because I have intimate knowledge of what happens on the ship after dark. What got you interested in the paranormal to begin with? Well, as a child, back in the 50s, it wasn't something that generally people spoke about. It was a great way in which to end up in a jacket with the locks on the back. And so what happened was I would wake up in the middle of the night and I would see people standing next to my bed. And they looked just as clear as if somebody was really standing there. And I would start screaming and my mother would come in. And they attributed it to night terrors. Now that we're a little bit more open to the process, I think what ha- what was happening was people were trying to get my attention. But I was too young to understand it, and I didn't have a support system in place that would say, you know what, there are things that we don't understand. And so as I got older, I began to get more interested in the paranormal. And about four years ago, some friends of uh, of mine and I went to Virginia City for the weekend, and we did some investigations, and I became hooked. And so that was basically the start of Pacific Coast Spirit Watch, and I'm the case manager for the group. Now, was this just something, basically seeing dead people when you were a child, was that just something that you did as a child, or do you still have people come along and hang around your bedside? What happened was I I sort of learned to block it, and now that I'm older, I'm working toward 
hopefully getting that ability back. And I do on occasion will hear people call my name or I'll see things out of the corner of my eye. We do have here in our home a few visitors that uh, come through that you'll see shadow people and things along those lines. But I'm still working toward trying to get those abilities back and, and opening myself up more. Denise, we found out something that was just very heartwarming to us and that we thought was very cool in regards to a t-shirt. So in the Spooktacular crew, there was a posting from one of our listeners, and we found out her daughter is one of our littlest listeners, and the only thing she wanted for her seventh birthday that she asked for was a History Goes Bump t-shirt. The post had a picture of her holding her pink History Goes Bump t-shirt. So Morgan, thank you for being a great listener. We're really excited to have you as part of our crew. Happy birthday, Morgan. And we also want to welcome to the Spooktacular crew, Michael M. Hello, Michael M. And Michael A. And Michael A. Jennifer. Hey, Jennifer. Brandon. Hello, Brandon. Amy. Hello, Amy. Philip. Hi, Philip. Matthew. Hi, Matthew. Megan or Megan. Hello, Megan, Megan. <laughs> Carrie. Hi, Carrie. And Samuel. Hey, Samuel. Denise, are you ready to take off for the USS Hornet? I most certainly am. I hear you can land planes on those things. History Goes Bump is entirely listener supported. Become an executive producer for as little as $1 a month. Get listed on the website and invited to exclusive virtual meetups. For $5 a month, you get that and access to exclusive bonus content like Haunted True Crime Bonus Cast. For $10 and above a month, you'll get all that plus awesome History Goes Bump gear. Check out patreon.com slash history goes bump or you can support us via PayPal. Click the support the show tab at historygoesbump.com for more information. History is full of oddities, curiosities, mysteries, and the truly bizarre. Welcome to This Moment in Oddity. This Moment in Oddity was suggested by Michael Rogers. The gorgeous and pristine Kenai Peninsula in Alaska is home to an old abandoned cannery town named Port Chatham. Some call it Portlock. The town is deserted, not because of economic reasons, but because of an unexplained evil spirit and a history of dead bodies washing up on the shore. Stories of the evil creature date back to the founding of the town, and this spirit is described as something similar to Sasquatch, with lots of hair and bipedal. The town was originally inhabited by the British Royal Navy in 1787. Sightings of the creature claimed that it was strong enough to rip trees up from their roots and that it would occasionally set them up with their roots to the sky. A mining camp named Chrome was set up nearby and a post office officially established the town in 1920. During the height of World War II, dead bodies started washing up around Portlock. And this wasn't just on the shores of the bay, but also on the rivers and lakes and even trails near the town. The bodies were mutilated and torn to shreds. Townspeople would just disappear to never be seen again. By the 1950s, people were so afraid that they just fled the town. Hunters who ventured around the abandoned town claimed to find 18-inch-long human-like footprints. 
The idea that Port Chatham was abandoned due to an evil Bigfoot-like spirit certainly is odd. Day in history. On this day, December 11th in 1913, a man named W.S. Fiddler died from eating too much cheese. Fiddler worked in the theater in Canada, and one day he was helping move theater equipment. He wasn't feeling well and finally fell over dead. He was only 50 years old at the time. An autopsy was conducted, and it was found that he had ingested too much cheese. His body apparently couldn't digest cheese very well, and it had accumulated, causing acute indigestion, and eventually caused his heart to stop. We wonder if his tombstone reads, Death by Cheese. History Goes Bump Podcast. The USS Hornet is an aircraft carrier located in Alameda, California. It is named for a previous aircraft carrier that sank in October of 1942. This new Hornet joined the rest of the United States fleet in November 1943 and fought in many battles during World War II. She later served during the Vietnam War and then went on to help with the Apollo program. She was decommissioned in 1970 and has gone on to receive historical designation and to become a museum. There is another designation that the Hornet is known by, and that is the most haunted warship in the U.S. Naval Fleet. Join us and our listener, Pamela Ennis, as we explore the history and hauntings of the USS Hornet. Pamela Ennis is the case manager of Pacific Coast Spirit Watch, which is a paranormal investigative team. And that team has been investigating for four years and has worked in conjunction with several other teams located in California and Nevada. And as I said earlier, Pam's also a docent on the USS Hornet and helps with the tours and overnight stays. And she's investigated the USS Hornet many times So I can't think of a better person we could have joining us to tell us more about the ship. And she shared with us a lot of photos, which we have up in the show notes to go with today's episode. So now we have to ask how you got involved with the USS Hornet. This is supposedly, Denise, one of the most haunted warships in the American Navy. So what attracted you to it, other than the fact that it's haunted? Well, my father served on the USS Midway and on the USS Lexington, and so I have a love of aircraft carriers. The Midway is in San Diego, which is probably about 10 hours away from Sacramento, and the Lexington's in Corpus Christi, Texas, so none of those are available for me to be able to jump in the car and go to. So what happened was a friend of mine had suggested that we go, they do paranormal tours, as I said before, and they do overnights where you can actually spend the night on the ship and do paranormal tours. And so I went, and once again, I became hooked. It was 
first of all, the ship itself is so full of history that it's just amazing to walk through it and get a sense of what life was like on the ship. And it literally was part of the core of the American space program because it picked up Apollo 11 astronauts. So just walking on the ship alone was enough to get me hooked. And then once I spent the night there and had the experiences, I I became hooked. And I was going so much that Heidi Shea, who is the director of education, suggested that I just go ahead and become a docent because I spend so much time on the ship anyway. So I took her up on the offer and I've been doing it for about two years. Was it pretty freaky? Were you scared at all when you spent the night on the ship? Or were there a lot of people around? Like, what was that like? Usually they'll be on a public overnight, they'll be around 40 people and they break them up into usually about eight groups. And the ship itself is about the size of a football field. And so you have uh, the groups broke up into separate sections of the um, of the ship. They turn the lights out, so the only lights you have are the red lights and also your flashlights. And it can be a pretty ominous experience the first time that you spend the night on the ship because one of the things that draws you to it is the fact that it is one of the most haunted ships in the fleet and also it's reported to have to have had more uh, suicides on the ship than any other ship on the American fleet. Huh, I wonder why that is. Do, do they know? Well, you have to remember that um, they, at one point, the ship had actually been out at sea for over 18 months. Mm -hmm. And you have, at the time, the average age was generally 18 years. And so what would happen is these boys would be out on the ship and their loved ones are at home and their girlfriends are at home. And they would, this was long before cell phones. And so you've been out at sea for a year and you receive a Dear John letter. And there's no way for you to be able to get in contact with your wife or your girlfriend to try to fix the problem. And some of the time what would happen is their reaction to it was to kill themselves on the ship. When you were talking about that they use just the red light, it's already (laughs) kind of freaky if you think turning the lights down low. But that red light gives such a, like you said, an ominous glow to everything. It does. Does that play with, I I don't know if people try to bring in infrared equipment or take pictures with infrared? we, We use a lot of infrared equipment on the ship. And what happens is during the course of the paranormal tours, what they'll do is they'll get everybody situated and have them take all their sleeping gear and stuff into the bunking areas. Then we all meet up on the hangar deck and they shut all the lights off except for the red light. So the only light that you have basically is your flashlight and the red lights. And the red lights post a glow that can really play with your senses. And if you're someone who's not used to being on the ship, that also has, you're already a little wound up. And so it does have a tendency sometimes to play play havoc with your senses. Denise and I have never been on an aircraft carrier, and I'm sure we have listeners who probably never have either. Can you kind of describe the makeup of an aircraft carrier, what the different levels are like, and you know where they eat, where they sleep, that kind of thing? Basically, when you board the ship, you board the ship onto what's called the hangar deck. Now, this is where they work on the aircraft. On the uh, hangar deck, there's toward the front of the ship, the uh, bow of the ship, is an elevator where they would lift the airplanes up to where the um, flight deck is, where they would take off. The top deck is the flight deck. And if you've ever seen an aircraft carrier, you see what's called an island. And the island sticks up way at the top of the ship, and it goes up maybe about, I say, 
four, maybe five flights. And in that area is where the bridge is, you have an admiral's bridge and you have the captain's bridge. Once again, then you go down to where the flight deck is. That's where the airplanes take off from. The lower deck below that is the hangar deck where they work on they work on the planes. And then you've got seven or, I'd say, a minimum of seven or eight more flights that you're going to go down, decks that you would go down into the ship. I think on the third deck of the ship is where the engine room is. And then a deck above that is the mess deck. That's where they sleep. Also, you've got what's called the officer's quarters, where they go toward the front of the ship. They used to have several different stores where the sailors could go in and they could buy supplies. They could get cigarettes. They could get candy. They could get writing paper. There's also a post office. There's radio room, berthing areas toward the front where junior officers were sleeping. And in the lower decks of the ship, there were also several different berthing areas where the sailors would sleep depending on where their jobs were. You're talking the size of a small city, if that makes sense to you. It does. It, it does perfectly. And it's easy to get. Um, <laughs> it's easy to get lost. I'll bet. Because uh, you've got basically, it's each level is flat and goes from one end of the ship to the other, and there are offshoots that you can take, and so you have to be very careful about uh, not taking a wrong turn. What year was the aircraft carrier put into commission? Well, there were, what, are you talking about the actual aircraft carriers or the Hornet? The actual Hornet. The actual, well, there's two Hornets. One was CV-8. Okay. That was the original Hornet. It was, it was made back in, uh, I believe, 1942. It was lost during an air attack in the Battle of Santa Cruz. Now, one of the nicknames that they give the Hornet is the Grey Ghost, and the reasoning behind that was that they knew the ship had been sunk, but just after the ship had been sunk, the current Hornet, which is an Alameda, was already being built, and they were going to name it something else, and in honor of the Hornet, because of its outstanding service, they changed the name of CV-12 to the Hornet, and so all of a sudden, our enemies are out in the Pacific, and they're looking at the Hornet, they thought that it had been sank. So that's where the Grey Ghost came from, because all of a sudden it was gone and then it was there again. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. It's a good way to kind of fool them a little bit and maybe make them go, are we really seeing and that or not? <laughs> it really did, because one minute it was, it supposedly was gone, and the next minute the Hornet is up and running again. So they they were at a loss as to the reason for, for that particular uh what is it? Resurrection is a good description? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> Can you imagine? Because they're probably thinking, you know, when Pearl Harbor got hit, they were able to bring a bunch of those battleships back up and get them back out again because they just had to patch them up or get the water off of them. But an aircraft carrier, you can't just pick one of those things up off the bottom of the ocean and <laughs> recommission well, it. Well, the, the original Hornet was sunk. I'm, I'm sure that they had seen it sunk. And so for all of mm-hmm. a sudden for the ship to be up and running again was probably a, because they knew that it would take, back then they, they were building ships at a monumental rate. It can take nowadays 
with the technology we have, maybe at least a year to two years in order to build an aircraft carrier. And they were putting them out. At, I think it was 16 months it took for them to complete the build on the second uh, Hornet. Wow. It's and, amazing. And, but that doing. was during World War II. We were in a wartime economy. And to be perfectly honest with you, and this is one of the great things that I think about the Hornet, is a lot of her fabrication was done by women because men were overseas fighting for our country. Sure. The women were the riveters and the people who were fabricating the ship. This is Leo Skeppy, and this is your official invitation to listen to my podcast, Aware and Aggravated. I discuss self-improvement beyond the surface level. I break things down psychologically, spiritually, and emotionally with some of the most unique and refreshing perspectives that I've ever found. And sharing them has changed so many people's lives already just from listening. I speak realistically with brutal honesty because that's what gives people the boost they need. A boost in confidence, energy, discipline, and overall acceptance and love for yourself. Everything is about to get better. So subscribe today, Aware and Aggravated. Do you know how many battles the USS Hornet, the second one, was in? Was commissioned just 16 months after her uh, keel was laid. So it took them 16 months to build her. She, uh, for 15 continuous months, she was action in action in the forward areas of the Pacific Combat Zone. She was under air attack 59 times, was <sighs> never hit. Wow. Her aircraft, um, her aircraft destroyed 14, uh, 1,410 air, uh, Japanese aircraft in World War II, which was a record for aircraft carriers. Neat. Her air groups destroyed or damaged 1,269,710 tons of enemy shipping. In 1945, she launched the first airstrikes against Tokyo since 1942 during the Doolittle raid. So she was in service from 1942 to she was decommissioned in 1998. Wow, that's a long service she record. She was opened as an aircraft carrier regime. I think she I think she was decommissioned in 1991 and then donated to Alameda to become a museum because they were about to scrap her. Oh, well, I'm glad that they turned it into a museum rather than that. Because, I mean, mm -hmm. you just think about that long service that ship gave. I There's, can't even imagine thinking about scrapping it with all the history and all the... Wow. And one of the distinctions about the Hornet is that she truly is a museum. And that because she is considered a national monument, they have to, when they do restoration on her, it has to be restored up to the point that it was at the time she was in service. So for all intents and purposes, her restoration has stayed true to what she was like when she was in service. So when you go on the ship, she does look exactly like she did when the sailors were on, when she was out at sea. That's really cool. Obviously, since they provide the opportunity to stay overnight, they don't hide the fact that they are reputedly haunted. What made them decide to embrace that? Do you know? I think what it was was, you know, the, the ship itself is ran on donations. Mm -hmm. Not only do they do the overnight, the overnight, the paranormal is just a small fraction of what uh, the museum offers. They call it liveaboard, where Boy Scouts, families, classes are able to come and spend the weekend on the ship and actually live the life of what a sailor would have experienced during the course of her service. So they get to learn how to do the knots, they take them through and they show them, they actually take them up onto the decks and show them how the equipment works and give them a full history lesson for the weekend. 
the paranormal is just a small fraction of what the Hornet does as far as education goes. They do outreach. They go out to schools and let to show um, classes what it was like during the time of uh, servicing on an aircraft carrier. And they also work towards science projects, and it's called a STEM classroom, which is science, technology, education, and I can't remember what the M stands for, but they do outreaches at school in order to encourage kids to get more involved in technology. So with all these different groups, Anne and her, have other groups ever had experiences that you know of that weren't there for the paranormal that were like a Boy Scout group or something? There's a lot of there's a lot of different stories of Boy Scout groups who will they, they actually sleep in the bunks where the sailors would have slept and in the junior officers bunk area which is toward the forecastle which is toward the front of the ship where the anchor chains are there's a bunk it's bunk 11 and the story goes that you never sleep in bunk 11 without asking permission to sleep in the bunk. And the reason behind that is, is not only Boy Scouts, but adults and other people who have slept within that bunk have been awakened by a sailor telling them to get out of their bunk. <laughs> oh my gosh, can you imagine this little kid is sitting in the, <laughs> that bunk going, oh, it's kind of dark and creepy in here. And then all of a sudden you hear a voice and you can't see who it is and they're telling you, to get out of their bunk. <laughs> One of the uh, docents that actually works on the ship doing the tours during the day took a picture, and it's a picture of what seems to be the ghost of a officer walking through one of the um, bulkheads. It looks like he's heading off for weekend liberty. He's got his dress whites on. He's got his, his cap underneath his arm, and he's walking off the ship, but you can see right through him. And that was taken by one of the docents on the ship. Well, I was going to ask you that I had heard that there was this dress white ghost that makes appearances. <laughs> and I was thinking, wow, that kind of goes in line with our lady in white. But now we have a dress white <laughs> ghost. <laughs> We've had people who have been on the ship during the day taking tours and look over and see a sailor walking down Broadway, which is a hallway, which literally a uh, walkway, which goes from one end of the ship to the other. I was told that uh, they looked over, they saw this sailor sort of peek in and then walk away. And when they went to look down the hallway to see where he went, there was nobody there. Wow. So it's a, it, it's a, it's an amazing piece of history and it's awesome to, uh, to do paranormal investigations on the ship. We've had numerous experiences on the ship. So with those, what is one of your favorite experiences that you've had? Well, let's see. We've the first time I ever spent the night on this, we were in the regular bunk area and I had put a digital recorder up on the top bunk and just figured, okay, I'll leave it there and we'll see what happens. Uh, when I got home the next day, I was listening to the recorder and I captured a man's voice saying, hey, what are you doing there? Oh my gosh. And there was nobody in the bunk area when that was taken. We've had, like I said, there's stories of uh, different sailors that had committed suicide on the ship, but one of the stories which is really interesting is when they first brought the ship in to get it prepared to become a museum, you have to remember that back in when the ship was made, they used lead paint. They used asbestos. That was the normal operating procedure back when the ship was built. And so they were scraping, you know, the lead paints. They were taking out, trying to get the asbestos. They were sprucing her up, getting her ready to open her up. And one of the... Uh, one of the docents that was working on the ship had a dog, and her name was Stella. And he would uh, 
spend the week on the ship and then go home on the weekends, and he'd bring Stella on board ship with him. Stella passed away on the ship. Till this day, many of us hear Stella down in the engine room, and last time we had an, a private overnight, we were sleeping in the sick bay, and one of our team members woke me up because she didn't know where the, where the restrooms were. And she said, can you take me down to the restroom? And I said, sure, not a problem. And we're walking down. And she said, I didn't sleep at all last night. And I said, why? And she goes, that darn dog. And I went, you're kidding me, Stella? And she said, yeah, we come walking back out of the out of the restrooms to go back to the sick bay. And you could hear Stella barking in the background. Oh, wow. And it can't be anything from the outside of the ship because the sick bay is with inside the ship. So you're not going to hear anything from no. the outside of the ship. Not through those walls that are supposed to keep torpedoes and stuff out. Exactly. <laughs> and, you know, we've heard her in the sick bay. We've heard her a lot within the, uh, especially within the engine area. Now, is it just barking that you're hearing? Do you hear her paws click clacking? You hear her barking and sometimes you'll hear her whining. Oh, interesting. You'll hear people talking when you know that there's nobody above you, especially in the engine area. It goes down one one floor lower than the third deck. And so... Whenever we're doing paranormal tours, you don't have anybody on the same deck. That way you don't have to worry about contamination. We were down there. You could hear Stella. And then all of a sudden, a ways down, we could hear somebody talking. And we got on the walkie-talkies and asked if anybody else was on the deck, on the third deck. And they said, no, there's nobody there. And so you'll you'll hear people talking. You'll hear people walking. We took, my for my grandson's 18th birthday, we took him for an overnight. We didn't tell him any of the stories because we didn't want to taint him. Mm -hmm. And so what, what we had done was we took him into the sick bay. They actually have surgical rooms and gurneys in there. And I said, uh, my grandson's name is Alex. And I said, lay down on the gurney. And let's do an event. Let's see if we can get any kind of response. He was laying on the gurney. And I said, doctor, we have a couch. You know, we have someone here who needs your assistance. And he looked at me and says, there's something pinching my arm. Really? And, and what we had not told him was, one of the uh, many things that you'll hear during the course of talking to people who've been on the ship is if you're laying on the gurney, sometimes it feels like somebody's trying to put an IV in your arm. Oh, that's not a feeling I would want to have. <laughs> not at all. And so he's, you know, I'm, I'm feeling this pinch and I'm going, okay, well, we had not told him, so he didn't know the story. And so we thought that was rather interesting that he was having that experience when he knew nothing about it. This just always blows my mind when I hear this kind of stuff, because you wonder to yourself, he can't see it, but it's having some kind of physical connection to him. And you're wondering, is this a ghost or an apparition grabbing his arm and trying to get a vein? Or is it actually hitting him with a needle that he can't see that's causing the pinch? There was, when we examined his arm, there was no redness. Mm -hmm. So whatever it was, it wasn't, he wasn't, uh, it wasn't physically, but he was feeling it. Isn't that so, weird? It just blows my mind when stuff like that happens. Things like, the, like that happen on the ship continually. It's, I, I look forward to going. Every time I go, I know that something, something. new, I'm going to find something new. It's going to be, it's never dull. I don't know if you would know, but has it always been this active or has it like gotten more active because you've had so many investigators coming in there? From what I've, it, it, it's like anything else. It has its ebbs and flows. Sometimes um, we'll take groups on and you'll find one part of the ship is a little bit more active than other parts of the ship. It will rotate through where maybe um, 
there's a lot of activity in the engine room for two or three months, and then maybe it will change and the forecastle will be the hot spot or going to the to the mess deck. There's a re- there was a report at one point that somebody had been down, uh, one of the members of the crew was down in the mess deck working and uh, and a uh, glass coffee carafe went flying across the room. Mm. So it just, it's one of the things I think is really amazing. You'll go up to area where the pilots used to get their orders before they would take off on their assignments. And we will take flashlights, the small um, mag lights, set them down on the counter. You can unscrew them just barely. I've checked several times to make sure that the desk is level and there's no it's perfectly level there's no reason for any of this to be happening but what will happen is you ask questions the flashlight will come on you tell them to turn the flashlight off the flashlight will go off Uh, we've actually had times where you'll put two flashlights down on the desk one flashlight will start to roll right to left then the other flashlight on its own will roll right to left and then they're both rolling and then they'll stop and so it's it's something truly to see if you've never seen it is it's awesome to watch and the first time you see it it scares you mm-hmm. but then uh if you're anything like me you go from being scared to running toward it going okay what can i see next so so you willingly go and tempt those spirits <laughs> <laughs> then uh, four years ago or well, no more like five years ago if you'd have told me that midnight i would be uh, that i would go to mare island and walk around the cemetery in the dark looking for ghosts, I'd have told you you were insane. And now I go past the cemetery, and the first thing I think of is, ooh, cool, let's go <laughs> let's go in there. Oh, that looks creepy. Let's, uh, we just got back uh, two weeks ago from doing Preston Castle, and that uh, that is another location that is just, I mean, just looking at it is enough to, to just scare you. But to get inside and, and know the history behind it is, it's, um, it's either going to scare you or it's going to intrigue you, one or the other. But for yeah. me, it's uh, I can't wait to go back. I'm one of those people where I get, I, I guess I get the chills or a little bit freaked out about stuff after the fact while it's happening. Like you were talking about the flashlight, and the first time we ever experienced anything like that was on our ghost tour that we'd done here in Orlando. And I'd seen mm-hmm. it done on TV on Ghost Hunters all the time. But, you know, when you see it on TV, you're like, okay, well, I wasn't there. I didn't get to touch the flashlight. Maybe they were playing around with stuff. But when you're in a location where you're like, okay, if they had this rigged, we're in a bar somewhere that I don't know how they could have. And like you mm-hmm. said, it really is intriguing when you watch. And it's it's not that the flashlight just like clicks on and clicks off. If they fade on, they fade out. It's just, it's like, right. how is it doing that? So I, I totally understand what you're saying. Uh, down in, in the engine room, there was a death in the engine room. And one of the things that we will do is take a... Uh, take a mag light, put it up on a piece of equipment that nobody can reach. So there's no way that it could be tampered with in any way. And we will ask questions of the spirit that's in the engine room and the flashlight will come on. And then we'll say, can you turn the flashlight off? Flashlight goes off. We'll ask another question. Flashlight comes on. Can you turn that off for us? Flashlight goes off. And we have that happen constantly in the engine room. And it's, it's, it's for me, it's just amazing to watch. I know this is going to sound a little strange, but it gives me hope because one of the things I think that caused me to be want to be part of the paranormal community was I lost my father at a young age and my mother passed away when I was in my 30s and I've always needed answers because I just want to know that this is not the end of it. Mm-hmm. 
And so the more that I do this, the more answers I get, the more hope I have that, you know, when you leave this life, it's not necessarily the end of it for you. Not that you're going to be haunting anybody, but that your energy still remains and is active around, you know, around the people that you love. And that gives me hope. Yeah, I don't think that's, I don't think it's crazy at all. I think that's why a lot of people get interested in this. Obviously, it's intriguing and it's interesting to study it, look at it, wonder about it. But I think at the core for a lot of people, that's why we're interested in it. Because it's like, if this is our spirits going on after, it means there is something more than just you die and you turn into dirt. And like you said, right. that does give you hope. That uh, the, 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 more, the more I learn, the more I want to know. I have a feeling that until my time comes and I'm, they're investigating me, I'm going to keep on doing it. And are you going to be a prankster like I am? Oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I saw something on Facebook one day, and it just, it just cracked me up. There was two things. One said that during the course of their funeral, they're hoping that somebody would play Pop Goes the Weasel so everybody would watch the casket to see if, <laughs> if I would pop up. <laughs> and the other one is, is I, I do plan on being cremated. And I, and I thought, wow, wouldn't it be fun to put popcorn in the casket? <laughs> oh, that You're would evil. be fun. Funny. Just, you know, just, a, you know, just a, my way of uh, on the way out saying, gotcha, because <laughs> yeah, I'm a bit of a prankster anyway. So uh, I think that would be fun. You know, one last, uh, one last hurrah. Denise, I'm putting popcorn in the casket right now down here on this piece of paper. <laughs> okay, so along with all your other great. wishes. You, it, you pop it in there and it just starts going. <laughs> uh. The if poor nothing guy. else, it'll scare the heck out of the guy in the crematorium. I know, the <laughs> poor guy, he's just some schlep probably who's like sitting there going, great, another body down the fire. And then he's like, what? And you just see him running out the door going, I quit. Never <laughs> <laughs> again. It seems like a lot of the experiences that you've talked about that people have had on the Hornet are pretty tame. Sounds like nothing bad has been going on. Have you heard about anybody having bad experiences or something that seems a little malevolent? My daughter, over the weekend, went in to do the new volunteer orientation because she's going to become a, a docent as well and help with the tours. We took my grandson once again for his birthday. We'd had an opportunity to go up into the upper area of the ship, and I guess they had just opened, they had just opened that area up, and there's no seating in there, and the interesting thing was is you go up toward the top of the ship, which is just underneath where the, the flight deck is, and you're walking down through this hallway, and you go into this room. Now, to give you a sort of a visual of what this room is like, you walk in through the bulkhead, and there's a, sort of an, just a small area that has no lights, no nothing in it. The only door is that door. Everything else is welded shut. And then you have another bulkhead where you go through that bulkhead, and you step down into another room. Once you get in there, there's there's no light sources, there's nothing. And it was like 10 or 11 o'clock at night, so obviously there wouldn't have been a light source anyway. We're sitting inside there and we're doing an, we're you know, we're doing an EVP session. We noticed in that area just off of the that one little like room area that I was telling you about that you walked into from the outside and then came in, there was a light in there. There was just sort of moving around. And rationally, you need to find the source of that light. And so what we did was we got up and we started heading toward 
that room and we're looking, okay, where, you know, logically, where is this light source coming? There looked like a pipe that was going through the wall to the outside of the ship. And so we thought maybe there's a light because there are other ships on either side that are active ships. They're still in commission. And so maybe there's a light from that that's coming in and that's what's causing that light source. Well, that was welded shut. So there's no, there was no reasonable explanation as to where that light was coming from. So we all said, okay, fine. Maybe we're just seeing things. We go back in and we sit down and one of the group had decided to put on one of the laser lights that has the little dots, the grid lights. Yeah. And it seemed to, whatever it was, it seemed to tick it off and it began to, it, it sort of, it just sort of disappeared for a second. So we said, okay, we're sorry. We're going to turn this grid light off. Next thing we knew was this thing started to change. It went from just a regular, like a little yellowish green light to it started to morph. I've never seen anything like it, and it started to get a little larger. Now, the problem was, was there was only only one exit out, and it was where that was. (laughs) The docent that we were with, Heidi, who's the education director, she said, okay, everybody turn your lights on. So we turned the flashlights on, and we exited because we were concerned that people who were not used to this would start to panic Mm -hmm. and start to run out that door and get hurt. Sure. And it's very easy to get hurt on the ship anyway, and the last thing you want is somebody panicking trying to go over these bulkheads are sometimes can be like a foot high as you're stepping over them. And so we got them out of it. But the interesting thing was, was the rest of the night, those of us who've been on the ship were kept looking at each other and saying, man, I've never seen anything like that. It was the wildest thing I have seen on that ship. It just literally sort of morphed and changed from just a small light to it. It sort of grew and that's when, you know, we decided it was probably a wise idea to stop this yeah. <laughs> and let's get them all out of here and we'll, and we'll go to a different part of the ship because I'm not sure whether it was ominous or not, but obviously whatever it was was not happy with us at that point. Sure. And so we decided to err on the side of caution and get everybody out of there. I know I've never heard of, of it happening again. So you were the lucky but, one who got that. Yeah, yeah because uh, not long after that, I think that they closed that particular area down for renovation. So hmm. I bet that really made it angry. I wonder if anybody had any experiences while they were renovating it. You know, they've said, I know that they've had experiences. I haven't heard of anything that was ominous. And even now, especially in the forecastle, there are walkways up at the top. And they talk about how you can look up there and you'll see sailors leaning over the edge and looking down at you. Or one of the docents who's no longer on the ship anymore, some of them have staterooms because they spend so much time there. And he had a stateroom and he said the first time that he went on the ship, went, got into his into the stateroom, got into bed and was awoken by something that threw him out of the bed, probably because they weren't happy that he was in their bed. Especially a stateroom. So, <laughs> That was somebody kind and, of important. And well, yeah, because if they've got a stateroom, they're definitely officers. Mm-hmm. And so he said that from that point on, whenever he went to go in that stateroom, he would say permission to come aboard. Oh. Never had a problem with that after that. As long as he asked permission, it was good to go. And so he would always tell us, if you're getting ready to get into a bunk, ask permission because you don't know whose bunk that is. Mm-hmm. Interesting. 
The flight deck, the hangar deck, the first and second decks are open to the public. The third deck, you have to have a docent. You have to take docent tours in order to be able to go down to the third deck. And they're working on restoring the rest of the ship, but it's uh, because of lead paint, asbestos, and, and different things. It's a work in progress, and it's probably going to take several years for them to be able to do that. But they have done an amazing job. The, the gentlemen who work on the ship, they actually get aircraft donated to them, and they restore them on the ship, and they have a fabrication shop where they create the parts in order to be able to rebuild the airplanes and put them up on the decks. Oh, neat. So, so all of like that is was. done with, within the uh, within the ship. Very cool. Do you have a favorite area in the ship? That's a good question. I like <laughs> I like sleeping in the sick bay. <laughs> It is considered at at point one of the most active parts of the ship, but also the mattresses are more comfortable in the sick bay. <laughs> that and the uh, junior officers' bunks they have they have nice mattresses, but I like the sick bay. It's sort of open, and I've had a couple of things happen in the sick bay when I was sleeping in there. And for some reason, I'm I'm not as scared in the sick bay as I would be, or apprehensive is a good good description as I would be in other areas, which I know sounds sort of strange. And plus, the uh, I like the mess. And that was because, as I said, my father served on the Lexington and on the Midway, and he worked on the mess deck. Oh, okay. And so I have a I have a special sort of love for that. So when it's a hi, Dad, <laughs> how you doing? <laughs> Is there anything we haven't covered that you wanted to uh, make sure we got added? I think that one of the things that people really should understand is unlike some of the aircraft carriers who've been turned into tourist attractions, the Hornet, once again, it helped retrieve the astronauts from Apollo 11, and they quarantined them on the on the hangar deck of the ship. There's an Airstream trailer on the hangar deck that is where they had quarantined the astronauts during their stay to make sure that they didn't bring home any moon bugs. The idea that when you go on to the Hornet, you are you are literally standing in the middle of a piece of history. To walk on that deck now is almost like walking on it when it was out at sea because the restoration that they have done is detail-oriented to make the ship as close to what it was as it was in action as it is today. It truly is a museum and it truly is a piece of, of history and the education behind it is just phenomenal and the paranormal is just of icing on the cake. That's great. Well, Pam, I want to thank you for not only suggesting this, for but for coming on and talking to us about it. It's always nice when we have somebody who can give us uh, experiences to go with it and can tell us what it looks like from their viewpoint. Yeah, firsthand knowledge. Well, if you if you ever are... Um, out this way in San Francisco, give me a call and maybe we can take you for a tour on the Hornet. Oh, that would be amazing. That'd be very cool. And you don't necessarily have to do it at night. <laughs> if you want to, I'll, uh, I'll see what I can do about making it happen. But if you'd like to go during the day, just let me know. And I, I would be more than w willing to set you up because it, it, it's an experience. Well, Pam, thank you so much again for joining us. And you have oh, a great you. rest of your evening. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you. And I look forward to speaking with you in the future. All right. You have a great night. You too. Bye-bye. 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 That was great hearing from Pam. I it, love getting those firsthand experiences from people. Oh, definitely. I do, too. We heard about some other experiences that have taken place on the USS Hornet. One is from Lion McKeel. He was very skeptical of ghosts until he and some volunteers did an overnight during Fleet Week in 1995. He reported, we'd all just bunk down and we had a rule. No exploring. 
All of a sudden, I heard this banging noise like someone was opening the hatches who shouldn't have been. Peter Clayton, our supervisor, came charging around saying, okay, who's sneaking around opening hatches? We realized that everyone in the group was there. As we were all standing there staring at each other, we heard it again. At that point, we were pretty scared. It couldn't have been anyone who'd gotten aboard. Keith Ledoux was painting the ship a few years later, and he had this experience. I was at like 28 feet, stretched to the maximum. I was up there until about 8.30 at night, and I was by myself on the ship. I wanted to finish the section I was working on before I left. When I had still about two to three gallons of paint left in my machine, I started hearing voices. Aircraft crews talking shop talk, dropping tools, and working on airplanes. Talking about the airplanes they were working on and parts and home. I thought, wait a minute, come on guys, I'm almost done for the night. Can you let me finish? Let me get down from here. This is really starting to spook me. And it stopped. A man named Alan McKean said, I'm not a true believer in all of that stuff, but I saw what I saw. One day I saw an officer in khakis descending the ladder to the next deck. I followed him and he was gone. I have no explanation for it. There are many tales of haunting experiences on the USS Hornet. Have some of the former sailors decided to make this home in the afterlife? Is the USS Hornet haunted? That is for you to decide. Well, Denise, I know you and I have been discussing uh, that we're going to have to take some kind of a triangular type trip out to California, fly into, say, San Francisco, drive down to L.A., and then fly out of L.A. Because there's so much stuff we want to see there, and we have people on both ends of the state. And it's a big state like Florida, so that's definitely something we're looking at in the next, I don't know, maybe three years? Possibly, yes. So we're looking at that because the other thing is I need to get Miss Diane to Mm -hmm. San Francisco. She has never been there. And we're going to have to go probably sometime in October because I want to be there when they do the Haunted Mansion overlay with Nightmare Before Christmas. Because they've added stuff since we've been there and I want to see the new stuff. Plus, I love that overlay and they don't do it here. On our next episode, we're going to be covering Haunted Whidbey Island. This was suggested to us by Marjorie Sneed. And there's several sites there that we're going to hit. Lots of hauntings going on there. So we're looking forward to bringing that to you. We'll also have the seventh installment of Spectral Edition. Want to make sure you guys check out our website, historygoesbump.com. And Denise, if people want to send us any feedback, where can they do that? They can do that at historygoesbump at gmail.com. We just have a few business items to take care of. First of all, we want to let everybody know that Beth Lale is the winner of our exclusive design for 2017. Yes, and it's a great design. All of the designs we got were very, very good, but she just kind of edged them out with her little ghost hugging the castle. Denise went, it's hugging the castle. (laughs) I love it. So that was the one that won. So congratulations to Beth for that. She will be receiving a mug with her design on it. And then for all of next year, that will be the exclusive design that we will be giving away with our t-shirt drawings. And then after 2017, it'll be available in the Emporium. So you guys can put it on whatever you like and have that in the future. And speaking of the t-shirt drawings, our winner for the December exclusive design t-shirt is Trevor Wage. And I hope I said that right. He has two A's in that last name. 
So congratulations, Trevor. And then I'm always telling you guys when I find a hidden gem podcast, you guys know I listen to a ton of them. I found another one that I think will be right up our listeners' alleys. That is Twisted Philly. It's hosted by a fabulous host named Dina. Denise, I think she's my sister from another mister. Oh, really? First of all, the show is about true crime, haunted history, the weird, the macabre, all around the Philadelphia area. And so, you know, that's right up my alley. And then my favorite show that she's done, and I think it's the favorite one that she's done so far, I think it was her second episode, I'm still binge listening, was called Mutter Butter, and it was named for Nutter Butters, and you know how I feel about those cookies. <laughs> yeah, she's a bit obsessed with them. But it was about the Mutter Museum there in Philadelphia. So just fabulous. You guys should check it out. And we got a message from Ellen in Texas. She let us know that she loves our podcast and she listens to us on her way to work. She just wanted to say that with our love of Disney princesses, it inspired her to make a Disney princess themed jean purse. So she wanted to thank us for giving her that imagination spark. And we've seen pictures of it as it's been being made. And it is fabulous. Very fabulous. Also, for you creative types out there. I don't know if you're if you're in the Spooktacular crew and you may not have noticed, but we've been doing these trading cards each month and I've actually jumped into the fray for December. We're doing Winter Wonderland and I'm having a lot of fun designing my cards for that. So if you guys want to join us for that, it is pinned up at the top of the Spooktacular crew. Email us if you'd like to get more information, but we're just having a lot of fun trading those back and forth. And I know that the Spooktacular crew had a great time with their secret spooky Santas. Yes. For Christmas as well. Yes, so. it was a lot of fun to watch everybody getting their stuff and hinting and everything. Denise and I have just commented several times to each other how blessed we are to have such a fabulous community that has grown up around us. We never expected this to happen. And it's just it's so neat to see all of you guys becoming friends with each other and trying to get meetups together and doing this gift exchange, which we, we've had nothing to do with any of this stuff, including the trading card thing. It's just things that you guys have come up with. And we just think it's great that you're doing that. Yes, we do. And kind of just a part of that extension of our crew in a few weeks here, we're going to be having a special edition of the podcast on which we will be talking about and introducing you to the new History Goes Bump ambassadors. As a matter of fact, what we're going to do, Denise, on New Year's Day, we'll have a New Year's Day special and it'll be a bonus cast. And so that's what we'll be basically doing there. We're going to talk about all of our ambassadors, introduce you to them, tell you about the program, invite those of you who haven't already jumped on board if you'd like to get on board to join us. And then I think we'll talk about something haunting in regards to ambassadorships or something like that is a little bit of icing on that cake. So be expecting that on New Year's Day. Remember, on Christmas Eve, if you guys aren't meeting up with your family, you don't have anything to do, you can hang out with Denise and I. We keep on the tradition of telling ghost stories around the fire. We set up the fire pit in the backyard. I think this year we're going to have a Christmas tree out there with us too. Yes. We will be sharing some of your flash fiction, the ones that were runners up for our earlier contest that we had for our anniversary show. We'll share some of those. We'll have other creepy and chilling and spooky stories to share. We set up an event on Facebook. We will also send this out in the newsletter so that you guys know where to join us. But we'll be on video live streaming this and you'll be able to join us in the chat room if you want to talk with each other. That will be at 9 p.m. Eastern time on Christmas Eve. So be either checking out the events in Spooktacular Crew or History Goes Bump for that and also be watching in your newsletter and we'll send that out. If you are not on Facebook and you haven't signed up for the newsletter, email us and we we will send you the link for that as well. 
for executive producers. We will be having a virtual meetup on the 18th of December, and we have sent that link out to all of you, so you should have that. Hope you guys can join us. We're going to do it at 9 a.m. on Sunday morning. Hopefully, we'll be able to catch a little more of you with that, and we'll just be discussing Christmas and other fun things like that. And one of the things maybe you guys could all consider in the new year is I know I listen to a ton of podcasts, but I can't donate to all of them that I listen to or I'd be poor. So I know that you guys are probably in the same boat, but just pick a couple that are some of your favorite ones and maybe consider in the new year sending them a couple bucks. It may not sound like a lot, but if a lot of the listeners give $2 to the podcast that they listen to, it can make a huge difference for them in paying their overhead. And I know a lot of podcasters are like us and would like this to become something that they do as their work and to get paid for it. So it'd be awesome if you guys would consider doing that. We have six podcasts that uh, History Goes Bump sponsors because we just really believe in that. So just something to think about when you're thinking about those resolutions. We have a couple of reviews from iTunes to share with you. The first one is from Wulu Welder, a must listen five stars, fun, factual, entertaining to distraction. Well, that's good, especially if you're working. We love to help distract you while you're at work. And Chris4299, one of my favorites, five stars. I look forward to this podcast and they give us so much content. I've learned from them and found new places to visit. Great podcast. Well, thanks, Chris, for that. We want to thank you guys for joining us for this episode. I have been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. Thanks. Be sociable. Drop the chain rattling, neck biting, and shape shifting, and join us on Facebook and Twitter at History Goes Bump. Like the page and follow us. <laughs>